Chapter Eight of Midnight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Midnight by Octavius Roy Cohen. Chapter Eight. Carol makes a move. No slightest move of Warren's erstwhile valet, no twitching of facial muscles, no involuntary gesture of nervousness, however slight, escaped Carol's attention. But with all his watchfulness, the boyish-looking investigator was unostentatious, almost retiring in his manner, and this modest demeanor was having its effect on William Barker, just as Carroll had known it would have, and as Leverage had hoped. Eric Leverage had worked with Carroll before, and he had seen the man's personal charm, his sunny smile, his attitude of camaraderie, perform miracles. People had a way of talking freely to Carroll after he had chatted with them a while, no matter how bitter the hostility surrounding their first meeting. Carroll was that way. He was a student of practical everyday psychology. He worked to one end. He endeavored to learn the mental reactions of every one of his dramatis personae toward the fact of the crime he happened to be investigating. That, and as nearly as possible, their feelings at the moment of the commission of the crime, no matter where they might have been. "'It doesn't matter what a suspect says,' he had told Leverage once. "'Some of them tell the truth, and some of them lie. Often the truth sounds untrue, while the lies carry all the earmarks of honesty. It's a sheer guess on the part of any detective. What I want to know is, how my man felt at the time the crime was committed, not where he was, and how he feels now about the whole thing. "'But the facts themselves are important,' argued the practical chief of police. "'Granted. But when you have facts, you don't need a detective. I'd rather have a suspect talk freely and never tell the truth than have him be reticent and stick to a true story.' Leverage's reply had been expressive of his opinion of Carroll's almost uncanny ability. "'Sounds like damn nonsense,' said he. "'But it's never failed you yet. And even you couldn't get away with it if you lost that smile of yours.' Right now he was witnessing the magic of Carroll's smile. He had seen the antagonism slowly melt from Barker's manner. The nervousness was still there, true, but it seemed tinged with an attitude which was part friendliness toward Carroll and part contempt for his powers. That, too, was an old story to leverage. More than one criminal had tripped over the snag of underrating Carroll's ability. Barker's last statement, Warren, he was a bird with the women, was true. Leverage knew it was true. Carroll knew it was true. There was the ring of truth about it. It mattered not whether Barker had an iron of his own in the fire. It mattered not what else he said which was not true. The two detectives knew that they had extracted from him a fact, the relative importance of which would be established later. Just at present, knowledge that the dead man had been somewhat of a philanderer seemed of considerable importance. 
For one thing, it established the theory that he had been planning an elopement with the woman in the taxicab. That being the case, a definite task was faced. First, find the woman. Then, find some man vitally affected by her elopement with Warren. Carroll betrayed no particular interest in Barker's statement. Instead, he smiled genially, a sort of between-us-men smile, which did much to disarm Barker. "'A regular devil with him, eh, Barker?' "'You spoke a mouthful that time, Mr. Carroll. What he didn't know about women, their own husbands couldn't tell him.' "'Married ones?' "'Oh, sure. He was a specialist with them.' Then most of this gossip we've been hearing has a basis of fact? A momentary return of caution showed in Barker's retort. I don't know just what you've been hearing. A good many stories about his love affairs, with women who were prominent socially. Barker shrugged. Most likely they're true, although it's a safe bet that a heap of them was lies. Men folks have a way of lying about women that way, even where they'll tell the truth about everything else. They've got women beaten ninety-seven ways gossiping about that sort of thing. You know a thing or two yourself, Barker? The man flushed with pleasure. Oh, I ain't nobody's pet jackass when it comes to that. Now you, Carol's tone was gentle, almost hypnotic, of course you know who the woman is that Mr. Warren was planning to elope with. I know. Suddenly Barker paused, and his face went white. He compressed his lips with an effort and choked back the words. Leverage, leaning forward in tense eagerness, knowing the verbal trap that Carroll had been planting, sighed with disappointment and relaxed. Say, what the hell are you driving at? Nothing. One would have sworn that Carroll was surprised at Barker's flare of anger, or else that it had passed unnoticed. I just figured that you, having been his valet, and knowing a good deal about him, would have knowledge of this. He wasn't in the habit of discussing his lady friends with me, growled the ex-valet surlily. Of course he wasn't. But you know, of course. You guessed? No, I didn't do nothing of the kind. Say, what are you trying to do, trip me up or something? Of course not. Why should I be interested in tripping you up? You was saying... Don't be foolish, Barker. It wouldn't do me a bit of good to, uh, trip you up. All I want is whatever knowledge you have which may prove of interest in solving this case. The man's eyes narrowed craftily. You ain't got no suspicions yourself, have you? Suspicions of what? Who that dame in the taxicab was. Carol laughed infectiously. Goodness, no. If I had, I wouldn't be seated here chatting with you. Again the expression of relief flashed across Barker's face, a bit of play lost by neither detective. Carroll was toying idly with a gold pencil on the end of his Waldemar. His outward calmness exasperated Leverage. From this point of the interview, 
the chief of police would have dropped the attitude of trustful friendliness and resorted to a little practical third-degree stuff. He was fairly quivering with eagerness to bluster about the room and extract information by main force, and a hint of Leverage's mental seethe must have been communicated to Carroll, for the younger man turned the battery of his sunny gaze upon the chief of police and nodded reassuringly. The effect was instantaneous. Leverage's temporary resentment departed much as the gas escapes from a pin-punctured balloon. He gave ear to Barker's speech. "'No, you ain't the only one who don't know who that woman was. I don't.' "'You knew he was planning to elope, though?' The man shook his head doggedly. "'I knew he was leaving the city for good, if that's what you mean.' "'No, not exactly. I knew that much myself. What interests me is this. Was he planning to leave with some woman?' Barker hesitated before replying, and when he did answer it was patent that his words were chosen carefully. "'I don't hardly reckon he was, Mr. Carroll. Mind you, I'm not saying he wasn't, but then again I ain't saying he was.' I can't do nothing, only guess, same as you can. I see. Carroll was apparently unconscious of Barker's flagrant evasion. What I don't understand is this. When Mr. Warren was publicly engaged to Miss Gresham, why did he try to elope with her? Elope with Miss Gresham? Barker paused. Then a slow, calculating smile creased his lips. "'Miss Gresham, her he was engaged to. Doggone if I don't believe you've hit the nail on the head, Mr. Carroll.' "'What nail?' "'About her being the woman in the taxi. You know, some fellers is like that. They'd a heap rather elope with a woman they're crazy about than stand up in a church and get married. They're sort of romantic.' Barker was waxing loquacious. "'You know, you must be right. Fact, if you were to put it up to me, I'd say there wasn't no doubt that Miss Gresham was the woman in the taxicab.' "'I had that idea,' responded Carroll slowly. "'But what I can't understand, Barker, and what you might help me figure out, is this. Why should Miss Gresham kill Mr. Warren?' Huh. Ask me something easy, will you? I never was good at riddles. Leverage marveled at the change in the two men. Apparently Carroll had swallowed hook, line, and sinker. Of course, Leverage was pretty sure that he had not. But he was also sure that Barker thought he had. And Barker was volunteering information, plenty of it, that was absolutely valueless. For the first time, he was forcing the conversational pace, and Carroll seemed serenely content to drag limply along. "'Reckon she might have been jealous of him?' drawled Carroll. "'Jealous? Maybe. I ain't saying she wasn't. Of course, she must have heard a good many things about him and other women. And when a woman gets downright jealous, there ain't much saying what she wouldn't do.' Not that I'm saying Miss Gresham croaked him. I ain't saying nothing positive. 
But if you're asking me who he'd most naturally elope with, why, I'd say it was the girl he was engaged to marry. If he wasn't going to marry her, what did he ever get engaged to her for? Carol nodded. Certainly sounds reasonable. He paused, and then, Where were you about midnight last night? I was... Barker's figure stiffened defensively, and his eyebrows drew down over the deep-set eyes. I was just shooting some pool. Shooting pool? Uh-huh. Where? At Kelly's place. Where is that? The man hesitated, flushed, and then somewhat sullenly, On Cypress Street. That's pretty close to the Union Station, isn't it? Not so close. About how far away? Again, the momentary hesitation. About a half block. And you were shooting pool there? Sure I was. I can prove it. Carol grinned disengagingly. You don't need to prove anything to me, Barker. And for goodness sake, get the idea out of your head that I'm suspecting you of anything. I had to talk matters over with you. You knew more about the dead man than anyone else. But I couldn't think you had anything to do with it, could I? You're not a woman. Barker grinned sheepishly. That's all right, Mr. Carroll. And as for me being a woman, well, you're sure a woman killed him, ain't you? As sure as anyone can be. And now, Carroll rose, I'm tremendously obliged for all the information you've given me. Any time you run across anything more that you think might prove of interest, look me up, will you? Sure, sure. Barker's tone was almost hearty. You're a regular feller, Mr. Carroll, a regular feller. The two detectives departed. Carroll spoke to Cartwright as he passed. Keep both eyes on that fellow Barker, he ordered curtly. I'll send Reed up to team with you. Don't let him get away. Nab him if he tries it. Cartwright nodded briefly, and Carroll and Leverage climbed into the former's car. As they rounded the corner, Leverage turned wide eyes upon his professional associate. Carol, Yes? You beat the Dutch. How so? You didn't swallow that bird's yarn, did you? Of course not, answered Carol calmly. I didn't think so. But you had me worried with that innocent look of yours. Me, if I was wanting to play safe on this case, I'd arrest William Barker pronto. Why? Because, snapped Leverage positively, I think he was mixed up in Warren's murder. Ah, Carroll refused to become excited. You do? Yes, I do. What do you think? I think this, answered Carroll. I think that Mr. William Barker knows a great deal more about the case than he has told. End of chapter 8 
recording by roger moline